Good morning, everyone. My name is Troy. I want to welcome you here. As uh, Laura said, we're a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. We're going to take an offering at this time, as she also mentioned. And if you're visiting with us, just take a Connect card out and, and put that in there. Um, while we take the offering, there's something I actually want to start with. Before we dive into scriptures today, I want to actually have you do a little activity uh, for me, with me. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a minute, turn to maybe two or three people that are near you. Um, preferably if you, if you are near someone that you don't know, um, you can include them. But just ask this question. I think, uh, David, I think I got a slide. I think. Yeah. What are some of the first questions that you ask someone when you meet them? Okay, so go ahead and take a minute and just do that now, and then we'll report out in a minute. Go ahead and do that. Okay, I'll bring us back together. All right, so help me out. Give me some feedback. What are some of the first questions that you are asked or that you ask someone when you meet them? What do you got? What is your name? That's helpful, Barry, right? It's their favorite word, so you want to know that one. Yep. What what else? How are you? Yeah, good. Right, Laura? Good. All right, what else? How are you? What's your name? Kids? What? Do you have children? Yes. Okay. What else? Where are you from? Where are you from? What was that, Bill? You ask everyone that? How long have you been coming to Kettlebrook? Just random people in the grocery store? Uh, okay. Okay. Sure, I think that's a great evangelistic tool. Yeah, how long have you been coming to come? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, sorry, Bill. That's a, I, get, I get where you're going. What else? What do you do? How's the weather? Yes. What do you do for a living? Thank you. That's where, that's where I'm going, right? Work matters. But yeah, so, so but that comes up, right, Julie? That comes up. Hey, what do you do for a living? So these are things that come up very often in early conversations. This morning we're jumping into a short series called Work Matters, and the reason why we're doing this is because um, if you look at the stats, someone says, like, if you want to quantify it, 90,000 hours is approximately what an average adult or a lifespan uh, will, will spend in some form of employment, work, job, okay? If you're here this morning and you're a student, when I say work, I want you to think school, okay? Because right now that's kind of your, your work. So work and school. And, and, and work matters. But, but what happens is because of the fall and because of the brokenness in this world in our own hearts, uh, sometimes what we find is that work matters for the wrong reasons. In other words, let me restate that. Um, work does matter, but it matters often in different ways than we actually think it does. And I want to I process through that with you this morning of why work matters and why it should matter. Okay, so to do that, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. So I invite you to grab a Bible with me this morning. There's uh, brown Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. We're going to be on page 2, okay? So it should be easy to find. If you have your app, just tap on on Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 2. And um, usually before we dive in, I want to give you a little bit of context. Because we're on page 2, I don't have to give you a lot of context, okay? Here's what happens on page 1. God creates everything. There you go. Six days worth of creating he does, and then we're in chapter 2. That's the context that we're opening up into Genesis uh, chapter 2. Now, before we read it, I think some of you are familiar with this enough to say what happens, day, uh, day 7 starts chapter 2, what happens on day 7? Rest. Yes, God rests on day 7, which is actually interesting to think about. I want you to think about this. The first full day that humans were around. Because we were created on day six, according to Genesis one, the first full day that we're around is a day of rest. 
But that's another whole series. We're talking about work this time, so never mind that. Anyway, um, I'll be frank. This week, as I was walking through this text and, and studying it, something kind of popped out to me that I think I've just been taking for granted. And that is this. In day seven, when God rests, what does he rest from? Work. Yeah, you're like, duh, Troy, work. But it's, it's actually in here a decent amount, okay? So uh, we're going to read Genesis 2, 1 through 15. Um, I want you to stand. I'm going to pray, and we'll read through this. Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, this r- word that was written in such a way to tell about who you are. And I pray, Father, that as we read this, that, that through these words, we would see your character more clearly, and we'd be able to apply to our lives the things that we learn as you are seeking to form us and shape us and fashion us by this into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Verse 4, this is the account of, or the generations of, the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to skip through the river portion down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is God's word. You can have a seat. One of the things that we find very early on here in Genesis 2 is that God is a God who works. God is a God who works. I think sometimes when we have an image of God in our minds, we have this picture of this old man kind of like on the clouds, if you would. Okay? Uh, so, so you know what I'm talking about. He's got a big beard. Uh, he's definitely very white. Okay? And so um, that's a joke. Anyway. So we get this from Michelangelo primarily because he's done this in the Sistine Chapel. You've got that guy, okay? And then um, I did some editing, okay? It's a family show. So, so we get some of this. We come honest by this idea or this image of God. And after all, if we're created in his image, I, you don't want to give the artist too hard of a time. This may also not only come from Michelangelo. It may also come from Gary Larson uh, from the far side, okay? There he is. Now, in, in both cases, though, we, even in these images, we see God is working. He's creating, right? And we didn't read it, but in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we find that God created man and woman in his own image. And so if, if God created us in his image, and he is a God who works, that means that we, created in his image, are also created in part to work. To work. Okay, now we don't have to speculate about this, though, because it's very clear in chapter 2, verse 15, where we ended. We, we see this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay? Now, some of you are like, Troy, I would love to work in the garden of Eden. 
uh, because my work environment is definitely not the Garden of Eden. Okay? And, and I understand that. But note this. God puts man in the garden and, and gives work, work to him in it before the fall. Just please note that. Before sin, before the whole fruit thing, we're given work. Before all that. Which means that work was given to us as a blessing. That work was given to us as a good thing. That work matters because God is a God who works and he gives us this work. And so therefore it matters. Now, what I often find is that we believe that work matters, but we believe it for the wrong reasons. And we kind of twist and uh, distort what work is, what work should matter for. So sometimes we twist work and we say work is, it matters because it, it makes me make a lot of money. Okay? Not that that's inherently evil, but that's not why work should ultimately matter. We say, well, work matters because then it helps me provide. Okay, also good, but is that why work necessarily matters? One of the, one of the, one of the biggest distortions I find in primarily guys, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking mostly to you because I hear you do this more than women, is that our identities become formed around our work. And this is a distortion of why work should matter. But this is, this is what happens. And again, gals, you may be prone to this, but guys, I know that do this all the time. Okay? Work becomes a large part of our identity or our persona. And so what happens is we, we take a couple different approaches when people ask us, what do you do? We can maximize it or we can minimize it, right? So sometimes we maximize when people say, hey, what do you do? You say, oh, well, and you start talking because uh, you like your job, your work, and you're good at it. And, and what that means is then you're good. Okay? So because you maybe like your work or you're good at your work, you want to talk about it because it's your, your identity is so wrapped up in it that you, that you really want to talk more about it. In fact, for you folks, if you're in the room, you don't even say TGIF. You say TGIM. Okay? Thank God it's Monday because I get to go back into where I'm awesome. In fact, the weekends are kind of lame because people don't understand how big of a deal I am when I'm at home. So we maximize. The other thing we can do is minimize it, though. If you're on the other end of the spectrum and you just don't even like your work, but you still know that you're like, oh, I think my identity is my job, but I hate my job, or I am not very good at it, then you are saying TGIF, and you will minimize or you'll talk about, well, I'm, I'm doing this now, but what I'm really trying to do is this thing, because then when I'll have arrived there, then my identity will be finally secure, okay? But this is a distortion of why work matters. It's not, it doesn't matter so that our identity can be formed around it, Okay? This is a deep thing in us that we have to fight against. Here's why our work matters. Our work matters because it is one way that we're able to worship and glorify God. And if we're doing it for 90,000 hours, it's a significant way that we are able to worship and glorify God. Now, you might be thinking, Troy, you must not know what I do. Because there's no way what I do can be used to worship or glorify God. And if you're working for a pornography company, you're probably right. But, but for the most part, other than that, th- th- absolutely it's not true. Your work can be used to worship and glorify God. Okay? And, and there's, there's three different things I kind of want to challenge this idea that my work can't glorify and worship God. Three, just three, three quick things. One challenge is this. The first challenge is, if you're like, well, my work can't be used to worship and glorify God, I want to point you to Genesis 2. Because the work that God gave Adam was gardening. I don't know how, like, 
glamorous that sounds to you. Do you garden? It's not that glamorous. I don't know how impactful that sounds to you, but it doesn't sound that impactful to me. I don't even know how spiritual that sounds. And yet this is the work that God gave to man. He says, I want you to garden. In fact, this is before weeds. So I'm like, what is he even doing? What do you do if there's no weeds? There wasn't, there was water coming up from the ground. You didn't need to water anything. You didn't need to weed anything. I'm like thinking all week. I'm like, what was he actually doing? And I came up with a couple things. I'm going to come back to it at the end. But this is one challenge. If, if you don't think your work is significant or could be used by God, God originally gave gardening. Second challenge is this. And it's this idea that, well, my work can't glorify God because there's this, what we, this, this fake line we draw between what's called a sacred, sacred work and secular work. Okay? It's this sacred secular divide, which I think is, is baloney. But we say, okay, so there's, there's this work over here, and that's sacred work. That's really God's work. And there's work over here that that's, that's not God's work. That's secular work. And I just think that's, that's a lie. It, it, it can be found a little bit in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, where there was 12 tribes of Israel, and there was a tribe called the Levites. And the Levites did, they were the priests. Um, and they did kind of the God work, and everyone else was kind of doing the other stuff, but... But that doesn't continue all the way on throughout Scripture because we see as Scripture comes to its conclusion, we find that that's not the case. That, that actually uh, Peter says, you are a, you're the priesthood of all believers. Those who follow Jesus are the priesthood of all believers. And the Apostle John writes that we are a kingdom of priests unto our God in Revelation. So, so here's what I mean by this. My job as a pastor is not inherently sacred. And, and your job, which may not be a pastor, is not inherently secular. Because my job as a pastor can be made secular if I remove God from whatever I do. And your job can be made sacred if you bring God into whatever it is that you do. When I graduated from Madison, um, boy, it was almost 20 years ago. I'm starting to look more like Sistine Chapel. Anyway, um, I went into the secular marketplace, got a business degree, went into the secular marketplace, but did not see my job as secular. I saw it as an opportunity to engage in relationship with my clients, to talk about their faith, to hear their stories, to care and, and, and do work with them and for them. Fast forward 15 years or so, doing this work now that I'm doing is not inherently sacred. Sometimes I'm just answering emails. And you may think that's holy. It's just not. Okay? I had to climb up on a ladder this morning because I forgot to take that star that I hung up down. That I didn't feel like, oh, this is, you know, as unto the Lord. Just taking a star down. Okay? So there's a, that's a, the second challenge is this sacred-secular divide. I don't think it's legit. Third challenge is something I want to show you. Uh, uh, Robert Banks wrote a book called Faith Goes to Work. And in this, he, he talks about God being the vocational model. What he means by that is, is God is a God who works, and he does a lot of different kinds of work. And so he groups the different kinds of work that we see into these categories that show us the different kinds of work that God does and says that if we are, exist and work in these kinds of work, we can reflect God in those specific ways. So I'll give you a, an example. The first slide here shows God's work in the middle. Uh, 
So there it is. And I, I, I took five categories of his here. And, and the first one is on the top there, we'll call that creative work. It's, creative work is what we just saw in Genesis chapter 2 where God speaks and he creates. Okay? Now, if you're in a work or a line of work that does creative work, there is a chance for you to reflect God's creative nature as you do it. And so he gives a list of jobs. Um, jobs like sculptors, actors, painters, musicians, poets, potters, weavers, seamstresses. Okay? And, and I'm, I'm going to kind of laugh because I'm like, all of you are like, I don't know if anybody in the room does any of those jobs right now. That's okay. Let me keep going. Interior designers, metal workers, carpenters, builders, fashion designers, architects, novelists, urban planners, and the like. Okay? So if you're in work like this, you have the opportunity in your creative work to reflect a God who creates. Okay? Are you tracking with that? Okay, let's try another verb. This one's a huge one. It's called God's providential work. This is a big category. Okay, so pay attention. Many of your jobs are in this one. God's providential work is where he provides for and sustains his creation. So Banks says this, um, the work of divine providence includes all that God does to maintain the universe and human life in an orderly and beneficial fashion. So in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes, he says that uh, through Christ all things were made and all things are held together. Okay, this is the idea of providential work. Okay, ready? Here we go. This would include public utility workers, policymakers, shopkeepers, career counselors, shipbuilders, farmers, firemen, repairmen, printers, Transport workers, IT specialists, entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, bankers and brokers, meteorologists. I don't know about that. Research technicians, civil servants, business school professors, mechanics, engineers, building inspectors, machinists, janitors, plumbers, welders, statisticians. I could keep going. See what I'm saying? He's saying there's providential work that's being done. So in these things, we are able to reflect God's providential work to sustain his creation if we bring him into it. Third type, justice work. Okay? God is a God of justice. Isaiah 30, 18 says the Lord is a God of justice. Okay? Now here, um, we can reflect God's justice as we are enrolled or engaged in jobs and work that seek about justice. Examples would be judges, obviously, lawyers, paralegals, government regulators, legal secretaries, city managers, prison wardens, guards, policy researchers, advocates, law professors, diplomats, supervisors, administrators, our servants in the armed forces, and our law enforcement personnel fall in this kind of work. Tracking? Still tracking? Okay. You're looking for yours. Hopefully you're seeing it on here somewhere. We've got a couple more. Here we go. Another type of work is called compassionate work. We reflect the God of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes about the God of comfort. Okay, so here we find us reflecting God's character in his compassion when we're doctors, nurses, paramedics, uh, psychologists, therapists, social workers, pharmacists, community workers, nonprofit directors, uh, emergency medical personnel, counselors, welfare agents, uh, all reflect God's work and character in their work, in the compassionate work that, that they do. Uh, last one I put up here was the revelatory work. In Romans 1, Paul writes that God has revealed himself to his creation. God's a God who, who seeks to share truth. Okay? And so here we find, uh, on the spectrum, we find everything from scientists to preachers to educators, teachers, journalists, scholars, and writers. Okay? 
So I'm hoping, and you might say, Troy, I didn't find mine up there. Please, come on, just go with me. It's in there somewhere, okay? Now some of you might say, Troy, you, I really didn't see it up there, and it's because it's in the next category, this next slide. St- yeah, I didn't forget about you. Okay? If you're, at home, if you're at home taking care of someone, for example, if you're a mom and you're taking care of kids, trust me, you're doing justice work and compassion work at the same time. Because raising children is work. Can I get an Amen. My goodness, it's hard work. Um, now, what we wanted to do for this series was, instead of having me talk a lot, because every time I talk about work, you're probably like, no, what do you know? You're a pastor. Okay, that's okay. Uh, I did work. Uh, anyway, but um, we want to have y- some of you share. We want to have some of you share. So what we've got is we've got, we're going to have a panel each week for the next three weeks so that some of you who are in the different circles uh, uh, around this diagram can share with you and so you can relate to some of the wrestle that we're having. Is what does it look like? How does our work matter? How do we engage um, in this for the sake of worshiping and glorifying God? So to that end, I want to have invite up uh, three uh, from our Kettlebrook family here. Uh, Jeanette, Allie, and Greg. Can we give them a Kettlebrook family welcome as they kind of come up here and get them settled here? All right. I told them they got to hold the mic close. Um, Let's see if I can see all you, you guys there. Allie, go ahead, right there. There you go, closest to me. That's where people like to be, get to the spit zone. All right, Greg. <clears throat> so this is on, and we'll have you pass it back and forth. Um, now, one of the first questions I asked uh, this panel was uh, the question of, do you believe that you are doing what God created you to do? And the reason I asked them this question is because I think sometimes we look for a bullseye that we have to find. Um, and sometimes we maybe are close to it, and sometimes we're not. So I just wanted them to wrestle through, do you believe that you're doing what, what God created you to do? So, Greg, let's start with you. Um, you kind of deal with work all the time because you are the founder and president of your own organization, which is Global Recruiters Network. Uh, Greg is, um, helps people find work, especially in the automation industry. So, Greg, doing that work, is, is that what you believe you were, I mean, you're doing what God created you to do? No. Okay. Okay. So, so no. Uh, why, why do you say that? Thanks for saying that because I think others can relate to it. Um, I do believe we're, we're created to um, work to glorify God, to uh, bring glory to God. Um, in, in my work, I'm not necessarily uh, bringing the good news to people um, on a daily basis. Um, I, I do have a chance to um, utilize gifts of service and compassion in dealing with people, but I know you can also do that in many other lines of work. So. I'm not quite sure if I'm doing what God has created me to do. Okay. Thanks for being frank about that. Um, Allie, we're going to ask you next. Um, Allie is the victim's coordinator for Washington County for the district attorney's office. And so if, if someone has committed a crime against somebody, um, the person they've committed the crime against is likely going to come through Allie's office. And Allie and her team will then be their advocates. We talked about this under justice, under the justice work. So Allie, do you believe that you're doing what God created you to do? My answer would be absolutely yes. Okay. So different ends of the spectrum there. Yes. Tell us why. Um, so I go by Ephesians 2.10, which says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand, and that we should walk in them. 
I feel God chose me to do this work. Um, people will ask many times um, how I do what I do, and my answer usually is, God put me here, so I have to do it, and God gives me the tools to do it. Are some days... Um, some days really suck, and some days are not the idealistic job. Um, but usually the rewarding days overcome the really sucky days. Yeah, yeah. Sucky is not necessarily a biblical uh, term, um, but, but you all understand what she means, because we all have sucky days, okay? No so, there's no better way to put it. There you go. Um, thank you, Ellie. Appreciate, I appreciate you saying, hey, you know, there's going to be those days. And may, maybe even though you seem like God has put you into it, it's harder to think that some days. Um, Jeanette, uh, talk to us about your answer to that question. Jeanette is a uh, personal trainer. She's also a fitness manager uh, at a club here locally. And then you also do group uh, instruction for classes. So how did, how did you respond to that question? Are you doing what you think God created you to do? I think for... A decent portion of it. Um, I love the personal training and the group exercise because I love to work out. And so I just love to like kind of nerd out in that area. Um, the fitness manager can be difficult because um, I'm dealing, you know, just with things in my job that, you know, ne- don't necessarily want to deal with. So whether it's cleaning or organizing or just little things, you know, in the um, gym. But yeah, I love to, um, I think, kind of think about the Bible verse where you, God wants us to be like vessels of him. And I think of, you know, taking care of yourself at the gym is kind of taking care of your vessel that God gave you. So that's just one way you can help that arena. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you had uh, no, yes, and sort of, right? So yep. we can kind of see how that, that fits into the <laughs> spectrum of. Exactly. Are, is, are we doing what God's created us to do? Um, second question I asked the, the team was, what are some of the barriers that you face in trying to reflect the image of God in your work? So what are some of the barriers that you face in trying to reflect the image of God in your work? Jeanette, you've got the mic. Why don't you start with us this, with this question? Yeah. Um, so sometimes people will come to the gym to work out for good reasons, you know, take care of themselves. And um, sometimes that involves you know wanting to look good or whatever when some but i try not to make that a big focus and people will come up to me like how do i get like this kind of muscle or you know i want to like look look this certain way and um but that's really not the most important thing and not everyone can look a certain way even if you you know slave over your diet and exercise all day (laughs) like some people just you know, are wired a little differently. So, um, yeah, so I, um, so that can be a challenge sometimes in my job, um, too, because I'm not, that's not why I'm there, and that's not why, um, I think the gym should be there. <laughs> so, um, and then also, um, I think sometimes it can be, you know, just, just a barrier, like how you motivate people too, to kind of reach their goals. Like, oh, you're going to get this certain body. So this is why you need to do this workout. And like, so that can, that, that is very secular driven and that is all around. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it can be hard to like motivate people the right way. So, yeah, yeah. So we, um, it's basically something we all have to, to look for is there's parts of our job that are gifts and blessings that can be turned and twisted into idolatries 
very easily. So health itself can become unhealthy when it becomes the ultimate thing. And so you're saying one of the barriers is just the vanity that can be part of that as a, as a stumbling block. So thanks for sharing that. Yes. Allie, how about you? How would you? What are some of the barriers uh, to reflecting the image of God at work or as you work? So when I work with uh, victims, many of them are at the lowest point of their life and had something very, very awful happen. So not all, but some of them are just plain angry with God questioning why, if there is a God, why would God let this happen to me? Um, my coworkers sometimes question it, and I have to be honest, sometimes I myself ask that question, mm. mainly because some things are just that evil that happen. Um, so that's a, a one barrier. Um, but if I see the door open where I can bear the image of God, I am all over that, and I will do the best I can to, to help them. Um, and then there is the, also the political or ethical part of bearing the image of God. If, you know, are you going to offend someone if you bring up God at work? Yeah, which I'm sure that many of you go, okay, there's that thing. What do we do? There's this elephant in the room. So, Allie, thank you. Greg, how about you? Um, like, like Jeanette and Allie, I, in, in my line of work, I have conversations with people about their careers. And so a lot of times, most all the time, the conversation topics are um, what they do specifically, their boss, their money, compensation, travel, maybe relocation. Something uh, a lot of times we see in, in the families that they need to make a change because. Um, but there's a lot of even just legal barriers um, you know, for me to ask questions to get to that next level of really why, you know, what, what are they really truly looking for or what's best for them. So um, while I think if, if I can help them find more meaningful work, then that's meaningful work for me to do. Um, um, it's frustrating if you can't take it deeper. Yeah. So, again, another barrier where you, where you take the very thing that you're helping to, to provide, which is work, and then having them be the wrong motivation, so an idolatry in that. So thanks for sharing that, Greg. Last question I asked the, the team here was, how has your faith in Jesus Christ changed the way that you see your work? How has your faith uh, in Jesus changed the way that you see your work? Uh, Jeanette, you want to start us off with that? Sure, yeah. Um, so I think my work is mostly just to make people feel good. Um, it obviously, exercise is a great antidepressant. Um, and the, I think our gym does a good job of creating a family-friendly environment that everyone can kind of come to and um, kind of wear whatever they want and do, you know, kind of come as they are, really. Um, and I think my faith can be expressed in that when I help pray for someone or, you know, offer prayer or, you know, maybe I don't, talk about my faith all the time but it can come up like yeah i i am a christian i go to kilbrook or whatever and sometimes people find that interesting might have a bigger conversation doesn't happen all the time sure. obviously but you know. it happens for everyone else every time they have that conversation so, <laughs> so we'll have to work on that we'll yeah on that, so. yeah so you know. all right thanks for sharing that Jeanette. um how about greg how about you how has your faith changed the way you see your work um, I would say early in my career, um, up until I do what I do now, I, I made a lot of choices and, and, um, to do things, work very hard. I, I personally believe that uh, um, hard work is necessary, and so I did a lot of work um, primarily you know, for my family or personal gain. 
um, quite honestly. Um, now in, in my work with a team uh, in our office, um, I'm on the phone with people a lot of times. I'll, I'll say things to people just to kind of challenge the conversation, and I'll say things like, you know, we're designed to work, or good work, hard work is good, and kind of hope that they pick up on the the biblical context of what I said. But it, like I said, there's a lot of barriers to that. Um, in my team, then, I, you know, I'm not a very outspoken person faith-wise in my group, but I would say without a doubt they know where I stand um, in my faith. Um, we had a, we did have an opportunity very recently, if I can share, mm-hmm. um, um, to do that. And it was a very hard uh, situation. A um, coworker of mine had a family member, um, really my age, that was in a in an accident and required some fairly routine surgery. But um, um, he had a very unexpected complication, went into immediate cardiac arrest, coded out, um, was unresponsive for the whole flight to life and for a couple of hours the um it was a very severe situation and very unexpected um and a family member in that family put out we heard that day and the next day and the following day um had put out the word for a, a call for prayer and um and so we talked about that that obviously came back to us and we talked about that a lot um in the office in our team setting um and the most amazing thing did happen um, in, in that he regained consciousness um, several days later. And it was very that was in and of itself was unexpected because of the situation. And uh, the medical team had prepared the family for loss. They didn't expect that that he would come back. And he and honestly has a very long road of recovery ahead of him. But um, yeah, but in my group setting, um, the, the gentleman, the family member in my group said it's a. Um, it's all because of prayer. And even the, even the medical team told them it was a complete miracle. They'd never seen these, you know, medical practitioners had never seen anything like that happen before. Um, so while I'd never wished that to happen to somebody at all, it was definitely um, an opportunity to talk in work about the power of prayer and where that fits. Yeah. So seeing those opportunities as God brings them in front of and, you and then leveraging them. Yep. Yeah. So thanks, Greg. Allie, how about you? How has your faith changed the way that you see your work? Well, I would not be able to do my work without my faith. Um, I constantly pray for the strength, the patience, the wisdom um, to get through each day, and sometimes it's, it's a case by case. So the more I think about it, I think my work has changed the way I see my faith. Mm. Um, I, my work makes my faith stronger um, and my my trust in Jesus to get me through each day and giving me the tools to do that. Um, my faith helps me search for the good from something, from something really bad. And then when I find that good, I share it with the others that need to hear it as well. Um, one thing that I find good from something bad is when a victim can forgive their perpetrator. Um, when a father whose daughter was brutally murdered can forgive the man who did it on the day of sentencing, that's God at work. Mm. Um, but sometimes you run out of the tools that God gives you to deal with that difficult situation, co- person, client, customer, coworker, supervisor. Um, so when I run out of tools, then I just um, say, I'm going to pray for you, or I pray for that person or situation and just let it all to God. Mm. Isn't that awesome? That's cool. 
Thanks, Allie. Um, let me pray. Let's join me in pray, praying. Um, Father, thank you for um, Greg and Jeanette and Allie, Lord, specifically uh, the work that you have in front of them, whether they feel they were created to uh, or called to it specifically or not. Thank you for the ways that they are seeking and wrestling with how to um, worship you and glorify you through it. Father, I pray that for everyone in this room that they would be considering these same questions and be able to wrestle through it together. Um, so that we could do that. We could do this good work that you've created us for, called us to in worshiping you and glorifying you in all that we do. Um, so, Father, be with us as we do this together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can you give them a, a thank you? Thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. Well, just as we kind of wrap this up, um, I think a question that may come out of that would be, Troy, if I even go down the road of saying, I, I think I'm on board with you saying that, yeah, I can maybe worship or glorify God somehow in my work. How? How do I do that? What does that look like? Can you give me something practical? And the answer is no. I'm sorry. I can't. And the reason why is because every one of you in this room represents a different kind of work. And if I tried to tell you, here's what you should do, you'd be like, that's not, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't apply in my context. So we need to wrestle through that together as a family. That's why we have groups. That's why we have our families together that we connect and process through these questions. They're in your bulletin. I'm hoping you're processing through the same three questions that I asked this morning. But, but there are a couple things that generically I want to say to you that I think will maybe help direct you towards how. All of week three is going to be focused more on that, that question specifically of how does this play out. But I want to give you these two couple thoughts. How do I worship or glorify God in my work? N- number one very generic thing. Do your work well. Do your work well. I've heard it said, someone asked, well, how do, you, how are you, how do I be a Christian airline pilot? The answer is pretty simple. Land the plane. Okay, do your job and do it well, because because the reason you're to do it well is because you're not just working for your own income. You're not just working for your family's provision. You're not just working for your boss or your clients or your shareholders. You are working for God first. And so if you're working and understand that work matters because he's a God who works and he has given you work that matters, then we need to do well at it. Fair enough. So can we be people who do our work well? That's the first thought, generally. Second thought, generally, is this. <clears throat> There's a pretty good chance that as you work, you will be engaged with other people who may never come into this space and hear me share the good news about Jesus Christ, and so they need to hear it from you. They need to hear the good news about Jesus from you. Because you need to take Jesus with you where you go. To those people, God may have put you in that role, whatever work you're doing, specifically for those people that you are engaged with. And it goes back to this idea I said earlier: is um, I don't want to over imply what I'm reading in the text about this, but as I was thinking through it again, He gives them the job as a gardener. There's no weeds; you don't have to water. And I'm like, what else is left? There's only two things I could come up with. Planting seeds and harvesting fruit. That's the only thing I could come up with. Planting seeds and harvesting fruit. If you're a gardener, you don't have to weed or water. You get to plant seeds and harvest fruit. Now, do you think you know where I'm going with that point? Okay? How can you worship or glorify God in your work? You can plant seeds that point to Him. You can seek to harvest 
that which he has already been doing in and through his spirit in the, in the case of others. Yesterday morning, I was, uh, I was in John chapter 4. I came across these words from the mouth of Jesus. Um, he's telling this to his disciples after he talks to the woman at the well. He says, the food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then the next four verses, all Jesus talks about is sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. And I think there's, it's intentional. He's saying this is the work. It's to sow and reap so that God's image and his glory would be filling this earth. Family, Jesus came as the perfect image bearer, the second Adam, the true gardener, to accomplish this work of seeing the image of God fill the earth. Now, if you were to take chapter 4 and you were to go to just go to chapter 5 in John, you'll find this brief little interchange where Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath, and then everyone comes at him because he shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath. And here's how Jesus responds. He says, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. God is a God who works. He is at work. Jesus is at work restoring, recreating that we might be able to worship and glorify the Father through Him as He has worked, done His work over sin and over death. And then if you went John 4, John 5, and you went ahead to John 19, one of my, one of my favorite little nuggets in Scripture is this account of uh, the burial of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19, it says, um, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, Jesus' body was placed there after he died on the cross. But then on the third day, in the next chapter, John chapter 20, we find Mary Magdalene. She had come to the tomb to prepare his body. She, the stones rolled away. He's not there. She can't find him anywhere. She's getting distraught. She turns around and sees a guy who's Jesus. She sees Jesus, and she doesn't recognize him. I don't know how it's even possible. But here's what it says. Thinking he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Thinking he was the gardener. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus' tomb was in a garden. And I don't think it's any, any like weird coincidence that Mary mistook him for the gardener. You see, God gave Adam work in the garden. And you know what Adam did with that work? He brought the grave. He brought death. And then God sent his son, Jesus, to accomplish his work. And in a garden, Jesus broke the grave. And he brought life out of it. Because he is the ultimate gardener. He is the perfect image bearer. The one who will accomplish what was originally tasked to us to do, which is to make the image of God shown all through and fill the earth, that he might be glorified through it. Family, may we understand that our work matters, that our work matters, because in all of our work, through Jesus Christ, in all of our work, it can be used to worship and glorify God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the work of your son, Jesus Christ, coming out of that tomb, coming out of that grave in a garden because he is the ultimate gardener. Father, I pray for us as a family 
There's going to be barriers that we have to wrestle through. There's barriers internally in our own sin. There's barriers in this world, offensiveness, and all those different things we have to wrestle through. We pray that you would help us to wrestle through them. And by your Spirit, would you empower us to increasingly reflect you, to increasingly worship you and glorify you in every work that we do, no matter what category it's in. May we reflect your character and nature to this world. May we plant seeds. May we harvest fruit for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.